There's a saying that the only constant in life is change. And for professionals in the animal agriculture industry, recent years have been rife with change. Continuing to grow demand for animal-derived proteins, both in the domestic and the global markets, is no easy task, with a variety of challenges on fronts as varied as trade policy and animal rights activists. In this episode, we talk with Chad Gregory, President and CEO of the United Egg Producers, about what it takes to lead in challenging times, and to get an update on some of the issues the egg industry is currently facing and what's likely ahead. Welcome to Feedstuffs in Focus, our podcast taking a deeper look at big issues in the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries. I'm your host, Andy Vance. Thanks for joining us. This episode is sponsored by United Animal Health, a leader in animal health and nutrition. You can learn more about United Animal Health and how they're working to advance animal science worldwide by visiting the website unitedanh.com. United Egg Producers, or UEP, is a cooperative of United States farmers working to address legislative, regulatory, and advocacy issues impacting egg production. Gregory, its chief executive, was recently named Ag Association Leader of the Year by the National Agri-Marketing Association. Feedstuff's editor Sarah Muirhead caught up with Gregory this week in Kansas City to talk about his insights into organizational leadership and the several challenges facing animal agriculture. One topic of discussion was that of how COVID-19 changed the egg industry overnight, shutting down food service and causing major disruptions in the retail sector. Gregory also discusses the implications of Proposition 12 in California and other similar state initiatives that are set to mandate practices such as cage-free production. He says the egg industry is ready for the transition that goes into play in the coming months, but says the industry stands to face insurmountable obstacles if those requirements were to expand to other states. Other topics in this wide-ranging interview include the United Nations Upcoming Food Summit, truthful labeling regulations, and where the egg industry stands in regard to environmental sustainability. With this week's interview, here's Sarah Muirhead. One of the big things that we all have had to deal with is COVID, COVID-19, and how that really has caused some disruptions in the industry. And I think there's probably resulted some pivoting in what the industry has to do. So can you just give us kind of some some insight as to, to what the egg industry has been through as a result of COVID? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Thanks, Sarah. Through the years, like everything in agriculture and maybe you know most businesses, they become as efficient and targeted as can be and per their customers that they have. And the egg industry is no different than that. Uh, Egg companies, egg farms uh, through the years, through the decades have become really targeted specifically to who their customer base is or they've built egg farms specific to that customer base. And so I say all that as a background to say that you now begin 2020 with these two or three different types of business models in the egg industry. We have egg farms and egg companies that have built farms specifically for producing eggs, the shell egg market that ended up in grocery uh, grocery store shelves. And then you have uh, another part of our business that is what we would call the egg product side of our business, which they have built their, their entire farm, their logistics, everything on the farm on that, in that company is a channel towards egg products and restaurants and, and that type of, of customer base. And so you get now to March and April of 2020, and all of a sudden, you know, the outbreak hits, people are told to stay home, do not travel, do not go anywhere, do not go into your offices and, and so forth. And so 
simultaneously, our industry was flipped upside down. I mean, literally overnight. We had a, a big portion of our industry because consumers were now going to the grocery stores and hoarding, if you will, toilet paper and eggs and other things. Big portion of our industry that they just supply the amount of eggs that were needed for the people that were now shopping for everything at the grocery store, consuming all their food from things that they buy at a grocery store. So that end is part of our industry was overwhelmed with everything you can imagine. Supply of cartons, supply of eggs, they just couldn't keep up. That lasted a short period of time, unfortunately, uh, uh, and it was chaotic and hectic at that point. Then you had another part of our industry, which was dedicated to restaurants and, and manufacturers and things like that. And overnight, they lost their customers, like literally mm -hmm. lost their customers. Mm -hmm. And to some degree, that still isn't quite back to where it was. So those farms, those companies that lost their customer base were not allowed to shift their eggs from their farms over to the shelling side of our business for grocery stores because of the way their business models have been developed. They aren't allowed through Food, food and Drug Administration. Uh, they aren't allowed for food safety rules and regulations and things like that to be able to, to shift their product from those farms, from those companies over to a different sector of our industry. So it was complete chaos for about a month or two there in trying to sift through uh, the debris and to help our members lost their customers to figure out a home for their eggs, or in some cases, even euthanizing their hens. And then on the other hand, our, our other part of the, the demand increased so significantly and they couldn't keep up and then prices went way up. And then some of the lawsuits that they found themselves in because of, you know, attorney generals around the country, price gouging lawsuits. Just the 2020 was just an incredibly challenging year. And it wasn't even a matter of fact that over here we have a demand so we can just take and shift things over. I mean, there's really obstacles in the way not to be able to, to do that kind of thing, which is correct. Yeah, yeah correct. Uh, the, for the shell egg side, the eggs are sold at a grocery store. Those eggs need to those hens and those eggs need to go through all kinds of safety requirements under the FDA safety rule. On the other side, because those eggs are pasteurized and sold that way, they don't need to follow the food safety laws or the FDA egg safety rules. And so you're right, from a food safety perspective, those eggs could not come over to the shell egg side because they had not gone through those steps and those processes. So where are things at now? Is, are we going back more to normal or the, in terms of the supply chain? From a supply chain, yes. Supply is much more normal. Obviously we had to euthanize some hens because there just wasn't a customer base. So that helped normalize things on a shorter term basis, but the demand is starting to come back. Obviously with people getting out now more into restaurants, the demand is starting to get back. Supply is fine for that. Uh, the problem now for our industry is of course, just the high feed cost, of course. Mm -hmm. And and so, but from a supply standpoint and from COVID, the history of COVID, uh, we're definitely in a more normal supply demand you know, scenario. So did we see COVID change in terms of demand for the cage-free eggs or the organic production? Was that COVID driven? Are there other factors? I mean, and that is, those are growing sectors, are they not? They are growing sectors. Certainly cage-free is growing way more uh, at a higher rate than, than organic is. Uh, I wouldn't say that COVID had an impact on that uh, as far as helping growth in those categories. If anything, it probably, uh, maybe had a, a bit of a growth or help in just just regular commodity eggs, just regular eggs. I think it helped focus people on what just food is and how uh, expensive food can be and how blessed we are in the country, in this country, in this, this amazing source of food all the time at grocery stores, just around the corner all the time at amazingly low costs. I think if anything, it probably helped ground 
the consumers and the citizens of the U.S. of how important food is, and local food and farmers and agriculture is. And I think that's a really good thing for the commodity side of our business, the cage, the conventional cage production side of our business. And it probably got people to recognize cost a little more too, right? Oh, because sure. of the economy and everything we were going through with COVID, they yes. were looking at prices a little more at grocery stores. It was a real opportunity for everyone in food production. You're right to you know get the attention of the consumers about how important food is and, and the cost of food and the nutrition of food and so forth. Looking a little more globally, we have a big food summit coming up this fall. Um, where is the egg industry? Are they involved in trying to be participants in that? Or what do you see coming out of that kind of a You're uh, talking discussion? about the UN food the summit? UN yes. food summit. Uh, we've been part of a dialogue that have been taking place. Uh, we were involved in each of the USDA organized uh, dialogues. We were on each of those uh, myself personally. And then we also were involved in some of our strategic partners that we have as well, like Animal Ag Alliance, uh, the International Egg Commission, uh, and others had some dialogues that we participated on as well. So strong concern about this step by the UN and what they may or may not say or may or may not do. Ultimately, you know, we, we the egg industry, has kind of felt like we've been the uh, center of the bullseye of the target with regards to certain things by uh, NGOs the last 10 to 15 years. Mm -hmm. So we see how these things get started and then how they progress. I think uh, this is kind of the first at bat, if you will, for the UN on this particular uh, topic uh, or focus on agriculture and food. It certainly isn't the end of it. Uh, they'll come out with some sort of response, some sort of direction, some sort of guidance, but that'll only be the beginning of this. And I'm, I'm fearful uh, as a human, as a citizen, and someone in agriculture, what the UN uh, is doing in 25 years or 50 years from now with regards to this, because it would just continue to progress towards concern for can we feed the growing population with a high uh, protein, low cost availability of food. Well, it sounds like from what you're saying that U.S. agriculture is getting united in terms of, of talking about this when the summit happens and having the messaging and being there to participate in the summit. Is that a fair assessment? Very, very much fair uh, statement. We're very organized. So what about some of the things going on in Washington? We talk policy here. You've got, uh, there's some uh, truthful labeling. I'm sure the egg folks are involved in that and have some concerns. Yeah, the last two to three years that uh, the truthful labeling has definitely become a, a large priority for my board of directors in our industry to sort through where do we land in some of these, you know, uh, imitator products. And what we have found with our conversations with uh, USDA and FDA officials and even congressional uh, leadership is that whatever is decided from FDA, USDA, and or Congress on truthful labeling for the dairy industry will likely then be the outcome for other products like the egg industry. So we have made our uh, positions known, various agencies and with Congress, and we're kind of in a holding pattern a bit and staying, staying close to it. We're nudging and, and reminding those folks, those groups, those agencies that we're still out here. We still want an answer. We still need an answer. But what we're basically hearing is, hey, the dairy industry was, you know, in line way before you, way longer than, than you were. And whatever outcome that we have for them, you'll likely get a similar scenario. Are other commodity groups working in the dairy industry, seeing as they seem to be kind of, you know, the, the, the front runner in all of this discussion? Are you guys like behind them trying to, to help 
um, guide that discussion at all? Yes, probably not as organized as we should be. And that's one of the, the things that kind of frustrates me about agriculture in general uh, and animal agriculture is that we probably don't work together enough. You know, the egg industry was the point of the spear for animal rights uh, movements mm -hmm. and things. And we didn't get help from others in animal ag, really. Right. Same with the pork industry. Uh, and I would say the same thing now on on uh, on truthful labeling. You know, the dairy industry has been out there for years mm -hmm. uh, leading this and fighting this for all of us in agriculture and food production. And and uh, I would admit fault on our own part. We didn't come to that dance soon enough to help them. Uh, and we're coming now now wanting to help and hope we can help. And I hope that all of us in, in agriculture, animal agriculture, can work with dairy to get a positive outcome for them and for all of us. Another issue, Prop 12, that's um, seen some challenges in the courts and some other things going on. Where is UEP on that and what do you think is going to happen? Yeah, you know, 12, the egg industry started back in 2000, Proposition 2. Yep. And it's been morphing and even since. And, and now we're again at this point where Prop 12 goes into effect in just like five or six months. Mm -hmm. And at that point, January 1, 2022, every egg sold and produced in California for 45 million people will need to be from cage-free hens. That means that 45 million hens being produced around the country that sell into California uh, will need to be in cage-free. So it's a real beginning step for our evolution as an industry from conventional cages to cage-free. Five, six, seven years from now, California is the first step in that process is have enough hens to produce the number of cage-free eggs needed for 45 million people in California. How did that go? What did we learn? How can we evolve as an industry by, based on what we learned for the next state and the next customer and so forth? So between now and 2025, 2026, we expect to learn a lot of things, but it's going to be bumpy. It's going to be really bumpy, not just in California with Prop 12, Meat 12, but all the other states and all the other customer requirements that come you know, in the next four to five years. Is the industry ready or are they still just trying to figure out where things are going to go before they make some of the changes that would be necessary under these propositions? It's a great question because I would say four or five years ago, we weren't ready. Egg producers and the industry wasn't ready. Mentally, emotionally, we weren't ready. But we are ready now. That's the message that we've been trying to get to everybody we could possibly talk to is the industry is ready to do it. Uh, we need serious help in doing it. Egg farmers, like all farmers, can't just go out and spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a new technology, in our case, new housing. We cannot go out and right. spend hundreds of millions of dollars in new housing without the customer helping us, helping our farmers pay for that new housing and get from here. to Any farmer that goes out and spends hundreds of millions of dollars on new cage-free housing without support of their customers to help them from the first house they build and the first egg they begin to produce until finally done and ready for being sold to that customer or into that state. They're quite quite far out on that economic limb, uh, that competitive disadvantage that are, than their competitors. So we're ready emotionally, we're ready to do it, but we need some serious help in being able to do it. We need some serious commitments by the customer base that they are going to do this or are not going to transition to cage-free so that we can plan accordingly. And we need a partnership to do that. And is there any way sure that there won't be additional changes that come after the fact? 
kinds of additional requirements that some of these groups start to push through. Okay, they've got done this, but we really against egg production, animal agriculture, all the others. So we're going to go back and start rewriting regions. I mean, there's always that risk too, right? There's definitely, there's definitely that, that worry or fear. Having said that, uh, the scientists and even the major NGOs like the Humane Society of the United States have admitted publicly, uh, and I'm thankful for this, they've admitted publicly that these smaller, acre cage-free houses are the best housing system for hens because of their natural behaviors that they like to do can all be exhibited in these high-level, multi-tiered aviary cage-free systems. So the on the ground, outside access, you know, that gets away from some of those being able to be safe mm -hmm. uh, from a, a humane standpoint and even from a food safety standpoint and, and their ability to, to exhibit natural behaviors. The animal rights groups have admitted those publicly that these multi-tiered behavior systems are the best systems there are for hens, for birds. So we're hopeful that this is a drawn in the sand. Now, that may just be my optimistic <laughs> self, hoping that that's the end, that this will be the end. Uh, but who knows? You're right. They probably will not stop. They may stop with us from then move to a different, you know, industry, a different animal and target other horses on them. And and I hope at that point we can be a resource to that other group, that other industry, that other species of what we went through, what we learned, how we worked with them at times and how we didn't work with them at times. And maybe a resource to these other groups. What about environmental sustainability? Where's the egg industry in terms of um, meeting some of the requirements in that area? It's a huge priority for us. So uh, we are probably, you know, obviously some of that movement and some of those requirements by customers and NGOs started with the bigger, larger animals like cattle and dairy and, and pork. Uh, but they're definitely focused on us now, the pork. And so the egg industry has taken that to heart and jumped straight in and right in. And we're investing a ton of resources, a ton of time and a ton of money stability and doing it right. Uh, about two years ago, uh, United Egg Producers was one of the founding members of uh, the U.S. Roundtable for Sustainable Poultry and Egg. Uh, I've been personally involved on the framework committee to build the framework for this, uh, this new sustainable sustainability program under the roundtable. I'll be ready to go by the end of this year and ready for the industry as well as in our individual members to adopt that sustainability with pillars and indicators and metrics uh, for each of those. And then also uh, a partnership between American Egg Board, the Egg Industry Center and United Egg Producers. We are updating our life cycle and uh, assessment this year. And literally just Monday of this week, two, two days ago, I sent out uh, surveys to all of our farmers, all of our members. Uh, to populate those surveys that will fill our life cycle assessment. And so by the end of this year, we'll also have an updated life cycle assessment that we'll be able to share with anybody and everybody. Uh, so I think we're doing really good things. We're investing a lot of resources and a lot of time into sustainability because we actually believe in it. It is something that's going to be here forever. Mm -hmm. And uh, those egg companies that want to be around forever uh, will need to take sustainability serious as well. Well, we'd love to circle back on that when you yes. have those results. So being that we're at NAMA and you were just recognized for your leaders. Give us your words of wisdom for leading through change and adversity. Any any tips for other leaders out there that you want to share? Yeah, you know, 2011, 2012, we were trying to pursue the federal egg bill. I learned so much as a leader during that time period of what works and what doesn't work. And then fast forward to 2015, when we were hit as an industry and the, and the broiler and turkey industry was hit as an industry with high path avian influenza and how it made it our industry. And the crisis was extreme for about six to eight months. So I learned a lot during that time period. 
And then certainly during 2020, I learned a lot as well. What I have found is a number of things. You've got to have a great group of people, uh, a team of people that you work with on a daily basis. You can hire them, work with them. You have relationships with staff as well as consultants. You got to give them all the resources they need, all the freedom they need, and let them do their job. Uh, and there will be there'll be times that they're not doing a lot, but boy, when there's a crisis like 2015 and like last year. Uh, that's when their expertise, their knowledge, uh, and what you've been able to, to foster and build in them as a team, uh, that's when they're really needed. And so the first thing I would say is just build an amazing team. And then communication. Communication, I have found everything, whether it's with marriage, whether it's at church, mm -hmm. whether it's with work. Communication is so vitally important. Even if you don't have the answers uh, communicating that all the time with your constituents is so vitally important because then they feel informed and then they feel powerful and they feel like they're part of your team as well. And I think leaders uh, and, and those of us in agriculture and animal agriculture have done a pretty bad job of collaborating and communicating through the years. And that's one of the things I would love to see us do better in the future is working together, uh, other CEOs, other presidents of other agriculture associations, and CEOs of other agriculture companies is us working together, building relationships so that when we are in crisis mode, we can work together to solve those crises and get us through those crisis moments. So between building a, a great team, giving the resources they need, and then communication and collaboration all the way through that crisis moment is vital. And that happens before the crisis. For sure. It definitely does. Yes. You have to do that. You have to have, be ready for those moments because they are. Um, <laughs> we know that too yes. well, don't we? Yes. <laughs> so, well, Chad Gregory, President and CEO of United Egg Producers, I want to thank you so much for your time here today. For Feedstuffs in Focus, I'm Sarah Muirhead. For the latest news facing the food animal and animal feed production industries and how the trends and issues in the marketplace affect your business, subscribe to the Feedstuffs Daily e-newsletter. This episode of Feedstuffs in Focus is sponsored by United Animal Health a leader in animal health and nutrition. You can learn more about United Animal Health and how they're working to advance animal science worldwide by visiting the website unitedanh.com. I'm Andy Vance, and you've been listening to Feedstuffs in Focus. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to hear more conversations about some of the big issues affecting the livestock, poultry, grain, and feed industries, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platforms, including Apple and Google Podcasts, or just visit our website, feedstuffs.com, for future episodes. Until next time, have a great day, and thanks for listening.